Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Ginny Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm Mitch Simon, your co-host on the West Coast of the United States. And on the East Coast of the United States, we have Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis, my amazing co-host. And on the I don't know what coast is today's podcast guest, Renee McGowan. Uh, and we'll find out where she is later. Let me just tell you a little bit about Renee. Renee McGowan is the president of Asia, Middle East, and Africa. So I'll give you a little bit of a hint about where she might be at Mercer. Now, Mercer is a human resources consulting firm that helps organizations use the power of their people to enhance business success. A little bit about Renee. Growing up in a humble home in Melbourne, Australia, Renee started working since she was 12. She started a business washing shop windows over the summer as a preteen, worked in department stores from 14, and then worked three times a week from 3 p.m. to midnight, she's 14 people, at gas stations for years to fund her education. In addition to running Mercer, she mentors entrepreneurs and developing she, she, I knew we'd get the emphasis wrong. In, in addition to running Mercer, she mentors entrepreneurs in developing nations as part of the Sherry Blair Foundation's Mentoring Women in Business program and is an active supporter of ensuring education for girls globally. Well, today on our topic is about designing for remote employee experiences, and that's why we brought Renee on. But I do want you all to fully appreciate this incredible leader. So welcome to the podcast, Renee. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got from Australia to, you're going to tell us where you are, and I'm intrigued to know how you learned how to speak fluent Bahasa. That's my big question for the day. All right. Oh Excellent. Gosh. What is the That's also what she does. She, <laughs> like, I feel so tiny compared to this woman. I know. I know. Not at all. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for having me. And I love that we're able to do this, you know, really spanning um, a large part of the world. So to answer your question, uh, I am based in Hong Kong. Um, I'm not really sure what coast either, but certainly the South China <laughs> Sea that's, that's there. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here and, um, you know, to be able to share a little bit about uh, what Mercer does, how we're working and, you know, my own experience across teams. Uh, so you gave a little bit of the background. I grew up in uh, suburban Melbourne uh, in Australia um, and nothing remarkable there, but just a family that valued hard work and they, they valued education uh, as well. So that was a, a focus all the way through. Um, I didn't work in a gas station at 14. I'll clarify that. That was certainly a little bit later to pay my way through college, um, but that was was how we got through college. Um, after there, I, um, you know, while being in suburban Melbourne, they're still very multicultural. So I was fascinated with the world from an early age, I think. Uh, and so uh, in high school, I took part in an international exchange program uh, and couldn't afford to go to the lovely places in Europe or any of those types of things, but could afford to go to our nearest neighbour, uh, which was Indonesia. 
Uh, so I went to live in Indonesia for a year to go to high school there, uh, which is how I learned Indonesian um, because it was oh. a necessity. <laughs> so it was literally landing on, on one day, going to school the next and, and having to start to learn to count one, two, three or satu dua tiga. Um, as and a from, teenager. Yes. As right? A teenager. As a teenager. <laughs> as, a, as a teenager. Um, but, you know, a life-changing experience, one that um, fueled a love of Asia. So I spent a lot of years working then in Indonesia and in Singapore. Um, and then with MRSA, I've been really privileged to have opportunities to work across London, uh, Sydney, Melbourne. Uh, most recently, I've been in New York for a few years doing a global role and then I've just moved here to Hong Kong um, about two years ago and you know as we know the last couple of years have been a bit of a roller coaster from for everybody and and that's been the same for me here in Hong Kong. Wow thank you okay so she's in Hong Kong she's been she's lived at every place on the planet ex- except that's correct she's avoided the west coast of California I don't know why. <laughs> Not, not yet. Just saying. Just saying. Not yet. <laughs> okay, not yet. Not yet. Just, I'm not taking it personally. Okay. So, uh, obviously, you were in Asia. Um, you were um, navigating your company through the pandemic before any of us were. So, um, what was your personal experience um, being in Asia when the pandemic hit? Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, fascinating, obviously, and, 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 such an interesting experience to live through personally as a leader. So the pandemic hit here in early January. So I sort of got back from, you know, Christmas vacation holidays and we landed back in Hong Kong with the family and we started to notice, you know, signs everywhere about protecting against the pneumonia type virus um, that it was called then in Hong Kong. And, you know, literally within a couple of weeks, um, schools had closed or in fact, they never opened after the Christmas holidays. Um, so, you know, we got a taste of it very early there in January. Um, and so our immediate reaction was obviously to um, look at colleague safety. Um, you know, we've got a large contingent of, of our workforce who was based in mainland China, which was heavily affected at the time. We, st- we had Hong Kong heavily affected. And then we started to see pockets of Asia also start to get exposed to the virus. Um, Asia's in a, a unique position, I think, in that they've battled these types of viruses, albeit not on this scale before. So they've got experience with SARS and with H1N1 and these various types of, of things that have really caused havoc um, in society. So I think that was um, an advantage in that people did respond and they did take it very seriously from day one. There was no this, oh, we'll wait and see or anything, you know. We've worn masks since January 2020, without exception. Every time you move outside of your home, you, you wear a mask. So all of those things came into play very quickly. Um, but what we had to do from a business perspective was really look at safety first. You know, how are we protecting our colleagues? Uh, what was our practices around working? Where did, what did we want them to do? Um, we then had to move really quickly to client needs because, of course, we work in a business where we provide advice to organisations about their employees. We provide uh, benefit plans. Uh, we provide a lot of the healthcare plans that are in place. Uh, so, of course, our clients needed uh, advice um, immediately there as well. We then moved that to the community as well in that we didn't want to stop with our clients. So as we were implementing telemedicine and everything in 2020, January 2020 in China, we were making that available for local communities as well just to try and um, make a, a community contribution to, you know, the, the challenge that was there. Um, and then we had to put in place the business controls. So, um, you know, really starting to make that assessment of, 
is this going to be short-lived? We don't know. What do we do? Well, you know, we don't know. We've got no visibility whatsoever. So we put in place very strict business controls, all the normal ones, if you like, around reducing expenses and all of these types of things went in place in, in January. So that was how we responded when it was just Asia. And of course, the rest of the world kind of knew about it a little bit. And they they checked in to say, how's everything going? And everything was going okay. But then of course, by March, um, a couple of months later, it became the global pandemic. Um, and then the rest of the world suddenly turned to Asia as well to say, hey, what do we do here? So we kind of had to go through it all over again to try and, um, you know, help colleagues and clients in other parts of the world navigate the uncertainty also. Wow, thank you. You know, it, it's interesting, a different, um, because you guys had been through it before, it sounds like you took it very seriously and yeah. uh, a little bit different on this side of the pond. Um, okay, great. Um, now, as a result of the pandemic, um, many organizations are saying that the shift to hybrid or remote work will be permanent. Um, in helping tens of thousands of companies make this transition globally, what do you see um, are some of the top challenges they're facing? And then how are they overcoming these challenges? And I just want to get your your um, your viewpoint. Is, is this a, a permanent thing? Um, should we treat it as a permanent thing? What's, what's your uh, opinion on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been fascinating um, to experience early on, from early on as well. So, you know, as I said, it was a pa- it was a, at that point an epidemic in Asia, became a global pandemic. You, you know, in March, everybody switched to working from home, et cetera. It was the hugest, the most significant shift we've ever seen um, of, you know, changing our, our work behaviour literally overnight. Um, and, you know, quite clear that even if we'd spent five or ten years planning it, most organisations would say that it would have been impossible to do what we actually did, but but everybody did it. Um, then sort of watched by about June, you know, many organisations started to make the call of, oh, this is the future, you know, offices won't exist, we won't need office footprints, everybody will be work from home. And I was sort of sitting here and, of course, you know, in Asia we're six months into working from home by this stage and I'm sort of, just hold that, hold that a little bit longer, that thought, because <laughs> there's actually ramifications of doing it and you start to see some cracks uh, in there. And, of course, now we're a long way into um, the, the pandemic and we're seeing organisations start to change their approach of, you know, what is hybrid to them, what is remote working uh, and so on. Um so, you know, that's been very interesting to watch. I think the reality is that we will not ever go back to working the way that we did in the past of everybody mm-hmm. moving to one location to work at the same time right. um, and to do it in a supervised, you know, time observation type manner. Um, but I think it's unlikely that we will have a world where people don't come together either, where people only sit uh, via Zoom. So I think it's about the hybrid bit and enabling flexibility. And for me, it's what we're talking with companies and what we're spending. It's less about putting in place rules for how you work. You know, do you work two days a week in the office or three days a week? How do you monitor that? How do you control? You need that guidance and that will vary via business. But you also need to think about, you know, how you want your colleagues to work and interact. Um, you know, do we want them to be um, all working at the same time? What types of, you know, communications will be used? Uh, how do we remove things that are time-wasting and spend thing, 
time on things that are valuable? Um, and how do we make sure that we're getting all of the richness that comes with people coming together? Um, so that what we're working with clients on is, you know, what level of flexibility is possible in your, your business? And you have to think about that on a, a business level, you know, product engineering roles, for example, could be done remotely, can be done remotely. Mm-hmm. Many of them have been yes. doing it. But, you know, is it optimal for collaboration, for creativity, for sitting down and reviewing blue, blueprints, prototypes, et cetera? So after, you know, what flexibility is possible, then you look at what flexibility is actually desirable. Um, you know, what is your business and how much do you actually think people do need to come together versus uh, working on their own? And then the third is what flexibility is sustainable. And that's what you need to think about is what's the role of the office? What technology have you got that's enabling it? Do you right through to, do you have the right job descriptions, the right performance management descriptions, et cetera, so that people are going to be successful uh, in work and their roles? Do you have any examples, um, you know, because we're so far away from from, uh, Asia, do you have some examples of how, companies are providing this flexibility and how they're, let's say, answering the myriad of questions that their employees have about what, what does the future hold? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think that what we're seeing in Asia is probably similar to many other parts of the world. I guess the caveat that I would say is that a lot of the markets here in Asia, you know, if I say even Japan, China, our large markets there, working from home and flexible working has not been the norm historically. So they've done an even larger cultural shift, if you like, from an organisation perspective because it just wasn't the norm and then suddenly it became, you know, mandatory. So I think the impact there on organisations in those cultures is going to be even more profound because, you know, if you take Japan, for example, it's completely hierarchical. Um, organizational structure as well, premised very much on FaceTime um, and, you know, being in the office. All of that needs to change. Wow. So the work that we're doing with companies at the moment sort of spans three areas. Um, One is around the organizational design. Um, How does your organization need to be structured for the business that you're in? Um, We're then moving to actually what are the skills uh, that organisations need. So um, historically in organisational design, you'd probably focus more on the job roles and then the job evaluations, whereas now it's uh, a lot more to what skills are needed in the organisation and how do I assess the skills that my employees have and then yeah. build the skills that are required. Um, and can we I, see a lot I of companies doing that in Asia. Can I stop you for there, that one? Because um, there was a really good article in the Wall Street Journal. I'm sure you read the Wall Street Journal every day. Um, <laughs> in Hong Kong. I actually do. Yeah. And I read the New York Times because uh, the oh, New, New York is still in me. <laughs> Great. I'm just, oh. I'm just imagining that, you know, by the time the Wall Street Journal comes to Hong Kong, it was like three days ago, you know? <laughs> um, uh, Monday's, Monday's article was really about um, skills, right? And it was, mm-hmm. it was um, talking about, it was funny, the article basically said, you know, now that you're going to be um, uh, virtual, then if you really want to move up in the organization, you need to get there first. You need to make sure you're there when your boss is there. And and then and then the article just kind of fell apart and said, well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, actually, it was a really interesting article because I was really like, I don't agree with this. But it said, maybe, actually, the skill sets of the future is, you know, you're really going to succeed 
if you are really great at both leading and being on a team that is hybrid. And I just thought, yeah, you know, and, and can you imagine, you know, as a, uh, we, we would never have had that in the manual two right. years ago. I was, I was yep. wondering if you could talk about some specific skills like that one that, that we might not be thinking about. Yeah. Um, it's a great one. And it's coming up with regards to, you know, assessments of um, performance and things already at the moment that um, there's a few pieces of it, you know, to be a good people manager, managing distributed or remote workforces was not really in the requirement. It was, you know, happened on occasion, but it wasn't the norm, if you like, yes. um, whereas now it is. But what we're, um, you know, really focused on now and, and thinking about is, you know, what will happen as we assess performance and roles there and what skills are going to make sh- make an individual successful or um, appear to be highly successful or, or key performance talent? So one example there is if we have large proportions of the workforce that are remote, um, do digital skills just jump to the, the, the top of the li- list? And we might be assessing people because their digital skills and their ability to navigate in a remote world are very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be invisible to us that they're, perhaps they're mm-hmm. not collaborating with people um, or their mm-hmm. people skills are not that strong as well. Um, but to that, that point, I didn't read the article. It's going to be a real challenge, I think, for everybody to, um, you know, up their skills in these key areas of you are going to need to be digital, but you are also going to have to manage a remote workforce. Um, and in many of us that are in global companies, it's not just a remote workforce in your country as well. It's a remote workforce spread across the world that you can't interact with, uh, with the frequency that you used to, to be able to jump on a plane, et cetera. And that changes the dynamics of not just, you know, individual organizational cultures, but but business in general and the way you do it. You know, you know what I, I'm intrigued by your comment uh, because, um, you know, in my experience, what I'm finding is a lot of managers are not creative enough to think that way. What they're doing is they're saying, you know what, um, this is the way it used to be. So um, this is how, this is as far as I think. So we need to, we need people to be back in the office. As opposed to, well, I don't know about that because, you know, there's plenty of companies out there that were actually global. They did pretty well. We know that because they're global. And, <laughs> and, um, and they, um, you know, found ways to incorporate different nationalities and different personalities and different cultures and be remote and get stuff done. You know, I think of, um, I think of, um, Nokia in the heyday, when Nokia had the heyday, when I worked there, uh, I barely worked with, with people who spoke English as a first language. And yet we were found out how to make a ton of phones, you know, and sold them all over the world. So um, I'm just wondering, um, what would be your words of uh, caution or, or coaching to those managers who are really having a tr- trouble being flexible enough to, to accept the new landscape and then say, gee, let me start to look at what skill sets I need to think about as well as you're, you know, you're talking about the dichotomy between digital and collaboration Yeah, and you, and the answer is, yeah, you have to have both. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do have to have both. And the other bit, and I guess my, my advice and certainly what I've, I've learned through my experience is 
you have to take stock of all of the ways that work has changed. You know, we spend a lot of time focused on is it hybrid or is it remote? What's the office for, et cetera. But uh, leadership styles have changed Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. won't revert. Employee expectations have Mm -hmm. changed and won't revert. And so, you know, what I think about if you're the type of leader who says we need to get back to the way things were, you simply won't be able to because there's been too many moving factors there. Um, And probably if you try to, I would say the biggest risk factor is that your employee expectations will have moved um, and you just won't be able to, you know, create the employee experience, create the energised workforce that you need for your business to have sustainable success. I'm sorry. I... um Having worked with a lot of some of your employees at Mercer over the years and hired you, uh, hired them, I would suspect that you're doing a lot of work in the measurement and performance evaluation of the leaders and managers now because of just this discussion we had. It has to be different. And I can see some of them after about three months of thinking it's going to come back to normal, being scared to death. Look, I'd- They're going to fail until they take on some very new behaviors and skills. Yeah, and it's, it's the suddenness of the change. So, yes, you're right. We are, um, you know, ourselves looking at what, are, what our leadership capabilities that are required and what's the mindset. And we're also advising clients on that. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is probably not around the definition of the leadership mindset. It's about the speed of the change Mm. that's there. Um, You know, and you've got a large uh, proportion of the workforce that has always worked in this one way. And, you know, we talk about the necessity of agility in business and we talk about that more with, you know, how you need to flex your your business, your product set, your customer experience, et cetera. But actually we, we it's required now that leaders will have that level of agility as well, that they're going to be able to, to change, to learn, to absorb, to be uncomfortable uh, as leaders and to be far more vulnerable as leaders um, in a world that, where they just haven't had to do that before. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let me, let me, as we're, as we're on this topic, you're, you know, you're pointing to all these different um, um, competencies. Uh, and one of them that we, I think it was our first, second, third uh, podcast was on empathy. So um, what we know is that empathy, is, along with flexibility and agility and, and, and vulnerability, uh, vulnerability as, and all the illity, as Renee already is, said, yeah, empathy, which is not an illity, but empathy has emerged as a critical leadership skill amid the pandemic. And not surprisingly, women have fared better in navigating their companies through the pandemic. Um, and that's the question I have. Uh, why, why is, that's what it says. Women have fared better. I'm, I'm just, that's what it says. I, I want to know the data on that. I, I mean, I know, I know, look, I, I know that, um, I know it's true just because um, women have had the biggest brunt because we're not just talking about, we're not talking about work. Women have, you know, have taken care of the kids, have taken care of the food, have taken care of, you know, you know, you just name it. And they've had to work as well. Um, I want to, I would love to get your, your, uh, opinion, um, as why have women fared better and, and do you see women faring better, um, 
in this pandemic due to um, due to higher levels of empathy. And then ask you finally, why is empathy so important and how can leaders win with empathy in this shift to flexible working? Yeah. Um, great questions. Bit of a minefield. Um, yep, I think if you, um, to answer it honestly, I mean, women faring better, that assessment comes more from a societal perspective. And if you look at, um, you know, at a macro level and countries where women have been in charge, their response uh, to the pandemic and the impact of the pandemic at a national level um, has been de- determined to be- to fared better. Um, the same sort of assessment is, is happening in organisations, but of course, you know, we're still in the thick of it, if you like. Um, it's not as if we've, we've got years um, to look at there. Um, I think the the issue. I mean, p- empathy has become such uh, an important topic. Um, my view is personally that the pandemic has really just accelerated trends that were in place. Um, topics around such as an empathy, a vulnerability, a purpose in organisations they were all there before the pandemic. It's just we've put it all on steroids, if you like, and the expectations around it has all increased. Um. I mean, very simply, and it's a generalisation, but, you know, for me, empathy is really about creating an environment uh, where people um, can thrive, where they feel comfortable, uh, where they feel understood and where they're listened to. Um, And so if you can create that environment um, in your workplace, you know, it gives everybody um, a really great position uh, to be successful from. Arguably, women may have been able to do that easier because, as you said earlier, they're juggling um, a whole variety of different things. You know, it's not that hard to make a leap to, to empathy or understanding somebody else's position because odds are you're probably in it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Um, but I, I do think that there's, um, you know, empathy's got a lot of a lot of um, attention at the moment um, and it's absolutely right. Um, empathy you know, for me is about listening um, and which is really, really important. And I think it's a critical element from a leadership perspective because getting back to what we were talking about before, unless you can listen to your employees, you're not really understanding how much their experience and their expectations have changed. Probably the next step is, um, you know, compassion. It's what you do about that and what environment you you provide to make sure that, you know, you're providing as much equality in the workplace and opportunity in the workplace for everybody um, and recognizing some of the challenges that that people are bringing every day yeah i i just think this this i just keep writing down expectations have changed mm-hmm. and when you when you um pair that with listening you know i think i think expectations have changed and i i think that because this has happened relatively fast that i think a lot of employees don't even know what their expectations are now. I don't think they've really, we've really had not had a chance to voice it. Um, I know that on, on this podcast, we've really um, promoted these, these really transparent, vulnerable, authentic conversations between leaders and owners and employees for those who are, um, you know, brave enough to enter into this space, which is, um, yeah, things have changed and I don't even know what, what my expectations are, but what is interesting as you know, is to say that, you know, creating an environment where people are understood 
and you hear so many leaders saying, we're just going back to work. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it doesn't make sense because you're not but, asking. It, and uh, the, uh, a, another layer to put on top of that is, be, to your point about some people don't even know what their expectations are because things are moving so fast, as Renee said. So they have to answer that question in the moment as they're experiencing it. Well, yeah. Do I like it here at home? What mm-hmm. do I really want? Is two days going to work? Is three yeah. days going to work? I do believe then the organization and Mercer's consultants are helpful in providing a certain amount of guidance on under what circumstances do you do your best work? Are you a morning person? Are you an afternoon person? What are your family? You know, it's almost like life planning. Yeah. A life planning. And, and then I also think organizations, and I'm sure this is what uh, you all need to grapple with, have to look at, well, we, we do need to give you a certain number of guidelines. Right. Or we'll be out of business. <laughs> right? Yeah. So within these guidelines, the empathy and the compassion, but at some point, I'm sorry, this may not work for you. However, here's what we can do. Right. To help you discover what might. So... Wow, Um, it's just, it's it's huge. So, I mean, and we talk about employee expectations as if, you know, it's a homogenous group as well, but then actually (laughs) everybody's got different employee groups. Um, You know, I've got a few thousand people across the part of the world that I'm responsible for, but we have an average age of 36. Um, And then you go to some markets that I'm responsible with China, you've got an average age of 27. Now, employee expectations are very different, um, you know, according to those types of things. So, um, you know, organisations have to look at their own workforce needs and do their own listening. And then they do have to get their own framework and guidelines, just as you said, Ginny, in that, you know, you've got to be clear on what your business is. Um, Not every business can be remote. Not every business can offer all sorts of unlimited flexibility. So you've got to be clear on what your business is, provide those guidelines. Um, And then importantly, you've got to make sure that you've got people that feel empowered and trusted to work within those guidelines and that you empower and trust them to work in those guidelines as well. Because if you come in, you put those guidelines in place that will have more openness to them than guidelines might have historically. If you don't trust and then you start micromanaging, then yes. you're trying to apply leadership and management styles of the past uh, to a new environment. Totally. And totally. A par- we need a partnership towards constant creating of now what well, it will be, three months from now and then now what it will be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I have one, um, one competency that we haven't mentioned yet, but I, I bet it's on the tip of your tongue, which is... Um, experimentation because with, with everything changing and we having no idea what tomorrow will bring. Um, I was talking to Justine, my assistant today, and she said that she dropped her kids off at school today and she can see that the school is quickly getting ready for sending the kids back home. They're just ready. How do you, um, 
encourage or build the competency of experimentation again in a in a world where we haven't really had to experiment before we you know, everything was pretty much a straight straight path and you know again recognizing all this great entrepreneurship we've got here in, in all of our countries how can you encourage uh and can you encourage leaders and teams to build that competency of experimentation yeah um it's a great question um if i had the answer um, it would be helping many many organizations mm-hmm. I'm sure. mm-hmm. um my perspective though is actually um comes down to trust um that trusting in your workforce trusting your leaders your employees everybody is the critical component there to letting people find the way in a world of ambiguity and uncertainty um and so you know that's really challenging to get back to the you know the earlier conversation there we're asking leaders to be more vulnerable, to be more empathetic, et cetera. But people also need people to lead. Um, you have to make decisions um, and you yes. have to put it out there. So I think, you know, the new leadership style is to make the best decisions that you can based on the knowledge that you have and recognise that you may actually get it wrong and you'll call that um, or others will call that as well. Um, and so I think you've got to apply that kind of approach to your employees and trust them um, to to do things that work. And if you've got some of those guidelines there, you know, if depending on what your business is, you know, for Mercer, our business is our clients. Um, our clients will come first and our people are the critical people that deliver to our clients. So we have these guidelines there that, you know, will be driven by clients, will be focused on working with clients in a way that suits them and, and us. Like you have those guidelines there, but you have to trust people to, to flex. Um, and I think we've proven that we can. Like the way that the world has worked over the last 18 months, um, I suspect the US may have to, in parts, pull back from schooling. Um, You know, I'm in Hong Kong. My kids have been back in and out of school over the last two years five times. Um, So, you know, they they go back for a couple of months, they get pulled out again. Um, But people adapt and you make it work, but you have to trust, um, you know, the bright people that, that you've hired um, to to do some of the things that are right and to experiment and to sort out what works for them and for your business. Great. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm walking away from this podcast with um, I, I, there's a slide that I show when I do fresh biz, which are all the leadership traits um, required in, it was, there was a tw- 2015 and then there was a 2020. And it mm. just seems, it just seems that, that what COVID is saying is like, Nope, we're serious like now. <laughs> So, because, you know, um, leaders need to make decisions Well, with, you know, without the pandemic, you could kind of get away with, you know, being a little bit slow to decisions. No, today you've got to go. And so I really do think it's separating, you know, the men from the boys and the women from the girls as leaders to, um, to respond, to experiment and say, I don't know, but this is the best, but we have to make a decision and move on. This has been so enlightening. I really, uh, I just love this whole conversation. Oh, I know. The new competencies that um, that we might not have, you know, been thinking about, um, the new expectations that we might not even know, and definitely um, empathy um, and vulnerability and building trust uh, between all of us who are kind of in this at the same time. So, our final question is: um, Gosh, you're so ex- your 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 story is so exciting. Your 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 um your the work you do, the, the knowledge you have. How can people find you? 
<laughs> um, it's very simple. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can look for Renee McGowan on LinkedIn. There, there isn't many of me, uh, and you'll okay. find me there. Very happy to to connect with everybody. And in fact, um, you know, I love connecting with people um, all around the world. I think it's one of the great privileges of, um, you know, being a global citizen is, if you like, is is connecting and getting different perspectives. So please reach out. Great. Well, thank you, Renee. And for those of you who are like going on your phone right now, let me find this woman. It's R E N E E. M-C-G-O-W-A-N. That's Renee McGowan. That's our podcast. That was sensational. Oh, just wonderful. Thanks, Renee. Renee gets to go start her day. We get to go end our day. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Ginny. This has been awesome. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for um, subscribing and listening to to, uh, Team Anywhere. We uh, look forward to uh, seeing you next week. If uh, you've loved this, this episode, which we have, please share this. Please give us a review. Please tell all your friends. And until next time, we'll see you on the next episode of Team Anywhere.